Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zota. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Tami Uza. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, people across Uganda begin voting in presidential elections. Former South African President pays tribute to the late Butrus Butrus Ghali and UN Secretary General urges world leaders to attend climate change meeting. In economics, South Africa at risk of slipping into recession this year and in sports news, Nigeria's Football Federation brings changes to the Super Eagle setup. The first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musam. There are fears of political violence as Ugandans go to the polls to decide whether to give President Yoweri Museveni a fifth term in office. Opposition candidates are warning of possible vote rigging. They say they are concerned about corruption in the country and a lack of progress. Seven candidates are up against Museveni in the election, which both local and international observers are monitoring. Ordinary Ugandans are worried about the possibility of violence. It scares us because whenever we are doing our, uh, our work and you see uh, all over uh, the security is scattered, it sometimes scares us. I'm afraid. It shows that if the elections don't end well, we could have war. There are even fewer people in town. It's scary. Meanwhile, polling stations have opened in Uganda with delays at a few stations reported. There have also been reports on social media that Twitter and Facebook appears to have been blocked by most mobile networks in the country. Museveni faces two main challenges, long-time opposition leader Kize Bisaji and former Prime Minister Amama Mbabazi, who until recently was a close ally. Hilary Ayasiga reports from Kampala. Ugandan security personnel are on high alert. There is heavy presence of police and the military on the streets of Kampala. They are vowing to crack down on election saboteurs after a number of violent protests. Uganda's electoral body has also issued guidelines on the voting process. Results will be announced 48 hours after voting closes. Seven candidates are up against President Yoweri Museveni, who is seeking a fifth elective term. The election will be monitored by both local and international observers. 
A car bomb in the Turkish capital Ankara has killed at least 28 people and wounded more than 60 others. Police say they have no information yet on who was responsible. Reports have speculated that Kurdish opposition groups may have detonated the bomb. A car laden with explosives detonated next to military buses near the armed forces headquarters and parliament. A passionate call to end the so-called unacceptable situation in Yemen has been made by two UN special advisors to the Secretary-General. The special advisor on the prevention of genocide, Adama Deng, and his counterpart with responsibility to protect Jennifer Welsh, made the appeal expressing concern at the heavy toll on civilians due to the conflict. Their call to action was directed at the international community and the Security Council. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujeri. The two special advisors noted that civilians and civilian infrastructure continue to be targeted by all parties to the conflict to the point that the attention of the international media has largely become saturated. They called on the international community and notably the Security Council to take action to end this unacceptable situation. The special advisor also said they expect that commitments by the Yemeni authorities and by Saudi Arabia to conduct credible and independent investigations into all alleged violations and provide reparations to victim will be swiftly implemented. And finally, recent fighting in the Jabal Mara area has forced some 73,000 people to flee their homes. The UN Humanitarian Agency, OCHA, says the number of displaced people jumped from 38,000 since hostilities escalated in mid-January, with many arriving in three main locations in North Darfur State. There are also unverified reports that thousands more have fled into central Darfur. The African Union UN mission is trying to establish protective areas to provide a safe haven for the displaced civilians, as well as reinforcing the number of troops and police officers and providing extra patrols. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Pressure continues to mount on Zimbabwe's First Lady, Grace Mugabe, over her utterances condemning the war veterans and Vice President Emerson Nangangwa. A few days ago, the First Lady castigated Nangangwa, accusing him of plotting to kill their child, Chatunga. However, due to open defiance, suspended ZANU-PF youth and war veterans have slammed the First Lady, Grace Mugabe. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Pressure is mounting for the Zimbabwean First Lady, Grace Mugabe, over her utterances accusing factional leaders over a number of offenses. Grace Mugabe accused Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa of plotting to kill President Mugabe's son exactly the same manner former Vice President Joyce Mujuru was ousted in 2014. Due to her open remarks, War veteran leader Chris Muchangwa was suspended from the War Veterans Association as the leader, but youths and war veterans say Muchangwa remains their boss. On one hand, ZANU-PF youths openly defied Grace Mugabe Tuesday and urged President Mugabe to tame his wife. Former ZANU-PF youth leader Godfrey Tsenengamu said Grace Mugabe should not involve herself in the party politics undermining her husband. Whereas we have also noted the deliberate abuse of both the party 
and state structures and resources to further a factional agenda of a grouping of super members at the expense of the majority in the party and the nation at large, with some party leaders abusing privileges at their disposal to cause live broadcasts of unworthy events by the state broadcaster. The ending off of government sourced implements by non-state officials and the abuse of party structures and the resources in both human and material to organize and convene divisive rallies whose agenda is best known to none other than the conveners and their associates, which agenda is alien to the cause of the party and the masses they gather. The youth leader said President Robert Mugabe should be worried of his wife who is slowly showing ambitions of becoming president in the event her husband dies in office or is incapacitated. Grace Mugabe is alleged to be leading another faction called G40 and more suspensions are being done to pave way for her takeover. We have also noted your excellence that some close to you in your social life, including your very own wife, Dr. Grace Mugabe, and your so-called allies in the party and summon government, seem to have edged an evil plan to destroy the party which you have so much nurtured and protected and they are committed to see that this project succeeds. There seems to be a plot to isolate you from your traditional pillars of support and strength and then strike you when you are at your weakest point. However, some have unfortunately become accomplices in the act unknowingly and others knowingly and there seem to be a marriage of convenience of forces as forces have united to achieve a goal, a goal but for different reasons and intents. Meanwhile, political analysts said the ZANU-PF system has lost its grip on the supporters who are now beginning to resist any movements from Grace Mugabe to further destabilize the party. Malvin Mukudu said all hell has broken loose in ZANU-PF. Well, what we can see, we can still see a situation where Vice President Emerson Nangagwa is thrown out of the party, but I think that would have many repercussions for the party itself, uh, the strength and the stability of the party. We can actually see a situation where the party can split, uh, because we've already seen that uh, the Nangagwa faction is fighting back, unlike the Mujuru faction, which, uh, which was thrown out without uh, raising a finger. But uh, the Mnangagwa faction has been uh, a different take altogether. We are uh, having press conferences, a reversal of vote of no confidence, reversal of suspension. So this type of thing can actually result in the whole party uh, splitting and it has uh, repercussions for the whole party. Another Harare-based analyst, Fortune Gwaze, said the vanguard of the ruling party has crumbled such that it was becoming evident Grace Mugabe had a hidden agenda. So it's basically uh, the, the whole system uh, which is trying to reject uh, what they allege is the hijacking of the party by, uh, by G40, the suspension of uh, provincial chairpersons in Midlands, Mashingo, and uh, Mashonal and East, and also having these provincial executives coming out and saying, no, our chairpersons are not going anywhere regardless of the suspension by the political commissar. So they see now this suspension 
as a way of weakening a certain faction within ZANU-PF and then uh, increasing the mileage of uh, one of the factions which is now causing all these frictions. But it all points out to uh, the lack of, uh, uh, you know, a clear set out rules or a clear framework of succession in ZANU-PF. 92-year-old Robert Mugabe has ruled Zimbabwe since 1980 and many believes he intends to be life president because of the absence of a clear succession plan. Although Mugabe has been winning elections in the past, pressure is mounting for him to retire ahead of the 2018 elections due to factional fights as well as old age and maladministration. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Now, people across Uganda have begun voting in presidential elections with incumbent Yoweri Museveni seeking to extend his 30-year rule. Ugandans are also voting in parliamentary and local elections and seven opposition candidates are taking part in the race with widely seen as the, as the tightest in the country's history with uh, two main rivals or challengers to Museveni's rule, veteran opposition leader Kiza Besige and former Prime Minister Amama Mbabazi. Now for an update from Uganda, correspondent Tony Songoro joins us again from the capital, Kampala. Good morning again, Tony, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. How would you describe the mood in the country as people make their way to the polling stations? Right now, most police stations that have been able to move in, uh, the voting uh, has started and um, people are anxious and um, the, the lines are growing. I think people are anxious today, this morning, to, to, to go and, and vote. And, it's, uh, and you know, this election this time around is, is, is historic, whereby I've never seen a big crowd waking up in the morning and running the polling station to, to vote. I think it's going to be a historic election in Uganda. Now, Tony, give us an update on the situation at the polling station where you are and possibly at other polling stations where material voting materials had not arrived at the time that uh, voting was initially supposed to start at 7. What's the situation there? People are very disappointed when... They have woken up very early, and they were at the station at um, a quarter to seven because they were told with the electoral commission that voting will start at seven, and by seven the electoral materials were not yet in the station. A good number of them that I I, I spoke to, they were very disappointed, and they were asking themselves, will the electoral commission add on some time from four maybe to five or six, or they will uh, stop voting at four? It is a big challenge, I think, uh, as at this time, that the Electoral Commission is, is going to face before even the day ends. And the opposition has been complaining that how ready is the Electoral Commission about this election? They've been questioning it, and I think now things are coming out, and they might cling on that, they might cling on that issue and say maybe the voting was not, uh, the election was not free and fair. So let's wait and see how the day progresses, and I think we'll get to know more. Tony, has the IE Electoral Commission said anything about extending the time with regards to m- most polling stations opening late at not the, the time that was supposed to open? 
So far, I, I tried to read the uh, public relations office of the Electoral Commission, but he was not picking my call because that's the question I wanted to ask him. Will they extend maybe up to four or five, but he didn't pick my call. So we were at see there maybe before afternoon we might have the press conference or something like that, and I'm trying to follow up uh, to get clearly if they will extend the, the voting or they stop at four. There were security concerns in the run-up to the elections. Um, are people voting freely? And what's the, house, how, what's the security situation there like? Is there heavy police presence? Yes, there's very heavy police presence in Kampala. Now I've moved to the town centre of Kampala, where everywhere I've been moving. I think uh, my tag has given me the advantage of moving town. Because the break into any person who is passing in town, and especially when you're carrying a bag the way I'm carrying, the break in to see exactly what you're, what you're carrying. There is a very heavy presence even of the, the military police in Uganda. And the, and the police, and remember recently we had the, the crime preventers. People are coming free to vote, but the security presence, it might be have an effect on that. And yesterday and the other day, people were traveling up country. The fearing that anything can happen because of the 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 the, 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 the what happened the other day when the, the police um, we unfortunately seem to have lost Tony on the line there. We will try and get him back on the line, but as we have it, he has given us an update on the situation in Uganda with polling stations opening late, voting materials not having arrived, and uh, heavy police presence at all the different polling stations and in the main cities, cities like Kampala. Now, we will try and get him back on the line, but as we stand, we have an update from Tony, our correspondent joining us from Uganda. Uganda with an update on the voting situation there. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetwa. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rise it. Le soleil élevé. Weya, wema.
Within the happen Africa. Africa, Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishadi, Pulibanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. Within the happen Africa. It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Fortunately, we did manage to get Tony Songer back on the line, giving us an update on what the voting situation is like in Uganda um, during the presidential uh, and parliamentary elections which are taking place today. Now, Tony, can you give us a bit of an uh, some bit of information with regards to the two main challengers to President Museveni's 30-year rule, Kiza Besike and Amama Mbabazi. These two candidates, who is likely to um, ascend to that position of being president if President Museveni does not win this election? You know, if Museveni will not win the election, then automatically Besike will win the election. But there are some things that are counting in this election. And Tony, Tony, that uh, Tony. Unfortunately, I think we'll have to leave it there because your line, the connection is very, very bad, and unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there. Um, we will try and get a hold of Tony and other shows as the day progresses, just to get an update of what the situation is like with the elections taking place in Uganda, presidential and parliamentary elections, and uh, challenges to Yori Museveni as incumbent president. His 30-year rule may be extended, may not be extended. Two main challengers, Kiza Besige and Amama Mbabazi, as you heard there, if you caught it, if the line was clear, Tony Songoro believes that Kiza Besige will then take over as president if Museveni does not win this particular election. Updates during the day on other shows with my colleagues, and uh, we have to leave it there for now. Now, moving on, back in South Africa, South African political parties taking part in the State of a Nation debate, again hammered on weaknesses in President Jacob Zuma's armor, such as Ngandla and the recent upheaval in the finance ministry. But this time, ANC ministers took out the big guns to defend the ruling party. President Zuma will reply to the criticism today. Zeline Merrington gives us an update. The National Assembly was slightly more rowdy during the second day of the debate. Opposition parties made a point of reminding the President of his recent mistakes. The DA spokesperson on finance, David Maynier, says unless something meaningful is done, the country is facing another downgrading. To boost economic growth and jobs, I have instructed the Minister of Labour to immediately table amendments to Labour legislation to ensure collective bargaining agreements reached between big business and big unions are not imposed on small business, to enforce secret balloting before calling a strike, and to exempt small businesses from complying with onerous labour legislation to encourage them to employ more workers. 
But Energy and Economic Development Ministers Tina Jumat Patterson and Ibrahim Patel came out guns blazing. We will offer an electric, uh, electricity capacity of 6 gigawatts of renewable energy, which will be solar and wind to our grid. We'll contribute around 12% of the installed baseload capacity for South Africa. All of this will be done in eight years. Why? Because the renewable energy program has been on time, within budget. We will fast track 20 infrastructure projects identified by cabinet two weeks ago and work hard to bring a number of these to construction, including the Klein William and Simvobu dams, the new end to Walco's highway from East London to Etequini that will cut the travel time by up to three hours, a large water pipeline to the Lepalali Waterberg area in Limpopo. But soon proceedings ran off the rails. Cope leader Museo Lakota was called out for using fraction, a word that was quickly declared unparliamentary by the House chairperson Papital. DA Chief Whoop John Steenhuisen jumped in. The point of order, Chair, is that you are suppressing the Honourable Lakota's right to freedom of speech. There's nothing unparliamentary about the word frac- uh, fraction. And no. if you are ruling that that is unparliamentary... Honourable, Honourable no, Stenison, this I'm, happens every time you're in I'm, the House. Heard, every time you're in the Chair, I've this heard, House degenerates. I've heard, I've heard what you're You've saying. You've got no control of this House, none Honourable, whatsoever. Honourable Stenison, I've heard what you're saying. You are, you are com- talking complete rubbish now, and you are making this House a joke. Honourable Stenison, to withdraw the word saying that I'm talking rubbish. Honourable Honourable Stenison, can you withdraw the word that I'm talking rubbish? I won't withdraw it because you are talking rubbish. Then you would leave me with no option then to ask you to leave the house. I'm happy to leave the house. It'll yes. save me having to listen to your rubbish. May you, may you please leave the house. And then the whole DA caucus was ordered to leave. If you are not going to allow Honorable Lekota to continue the debate, I'll have no option, Honorable Members, Chant them out, request please. the DA please. to leave the house. Get out. Honorable Members, I'm now ordering you to leave the house. May you please leave the house. You are disruptive. The DA, however, remained in the house, except for Stienhuisen. As calm was restored, Lakota could finish his speech, during which he called on Parliament's presiding officers to take their duties seriously. The presiding officers are there to protect our right to hold the executive to account. Once the executive has been identified all of us members of the legislature members of the ruling party and the opposition we come we are expected to compose the legislature all of us collectively are expected to hold the executive to account the leaders of the ACDP, Kenneth Meshwe and FF Plus, Peter Mulder called on the ruling party to lead by example in combating racism the ANC must desist from using the race card whenever they want to shift blame for their failures. Racism is a very serious issue that must be condemned unconditionally. 
racism from the side of white people or black people carries the germ that could destroy South Africa and all human relations. The DA chief whip John Steenhuizen later on apologized to the presiding officers of parliament and he was allowed to attend the rest of the sitting. I'm Zeline Merrington at parliament. The late former United Nations Secretary General Boutrous Boutrous Ghali attempted to assert an author- authoritative role in his position and that is precisely what led to his downfall. In an exclusive interview with SABC News in New York, former South African President Thabo Mbeki hailed Africa's first UN chief as a political leader who embraced the responsibility to represent the peoples of the world and lamented the loss of an outstanding African. Mbeki he also had choice words about the role of Secretary General and on the type of leader the job of leading the United Nations required. Show in Bryce Peace reports. A new social contract at the global level is required. Boutros Boutros Ghali was known to speak his mind, a characteristic that often got him into trouble. But a view former South African President Thabo Mbeki believes is much needed in the role of UN Secretary General. It really kind of had carried the image of what we thought the Secretary General of the United Nations would be, who is uh, uh, somebody who is authoritative, uh, not, not, not just a civil servant of the United Nations, but really a political leader uh, with, uh, with a responsibility to represent the peoples of the world. And therefore, a person who would not be, not just speaking for the big powers, and really represent what would be of value, uh, uh, understood by the people generally as being something that is moral, that is ethical, that serves humanity. He tried to do that. So I'm saying that when the news came that he had passed away, it really felt like We've really lost an outstanding Africa. Mbeki acknowledges that Boutros Ghali's tenure during the international failures of the genocides in Rwanda and the Balkans and the difficulties of an increasingly unstable Somalia pointed also to the collective nature of decision-making at the world body. I don't know why they would want to delegate problems like that, challenges of that kind, particularly to the Secretary General. Uh, Sure, it is correct that during this period you had these particular challenges. Uh, but I think that even he, when he raises this matter, for instance, about the genocide in Rwanda, uh, and said it was quite clear to him that the, uh, the Western world was not yet ready to understand and respond to genocide in Africa in the same way that it would respond to genocide anywhere else in the world, particularly Europe. Um, he understood, I think. I think we've all understood the resistance there was among the big powers to get involved in stopping that genocide in Rwanda. Mbeki called for persistence in the reform of the Security Council, agreed that the next UN chief should be a woman, but that the position should be held by a statesperson of the highest esteem. This position requires an independent-minded statesperson, not, not a senior civil servant, an independent thinking statesperson committed to the vision that you would find in the UN Charter, 
uh, in the Human Rights Charter and then all of these documents that have been agreed globally. You, you need that so that they can, persons can stand up and say, even if the behavior of a big power, uh, I'm talking in the context of Security Council and UN Charter, if the behavior of a big power is such that that behavior could lead to a threat to international peace, Secretary General must be able to stand up and say that. Something he believes led to the downfall of the 6th UN Secretary General, who failed to get a second term due to a US veto. UN flags will fly at half-mast, while the UN General Assembly pays tribute to the late Boutros Boutros Ghali in a special plenary later Thursday. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. In the headlines, there are fears of political violence as Ugandans go to the polls to decide whether to give President Yuri Museveni a fifth term in office. A car bomb in the Turkish capital Ankara has killed at least 28 people and wounded more than 60 others. And recent fighting in the Jebel Mara area has forced some 73,000 people to flee their homes. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. The UN Secretary-General has urged world leaders to attend the upcoming signature ceremony of the Paris Climate Change Agreement in April this year in New York. Addressing an informal session of the General Assembly, Ban Ki-moon called the signature ceremony the first opportunity for governments to advance the process that will lead to the implementation and ratification of the landmark Paris Agreement. At least 55 countries, or 55% of global gas emitters, must ratify the agreement before it can take legal effect. Show in Bryce Peace report. The agreement reached in Paris was just the beginning, as the UN chief encourages world leaders to return to New York on April 22nd to put the agreement into action. The participation of heads of state and government will show the world they are determined to move to- forward as quickly as possible. It will keep the global spotlight firmly focused on climate change and build on the strong political momentum created in Paris. It is important that Paris Agreement enters into force as soon as possible. The cost of inaction becomes clearer every day. Ban Ki-moon wants governments to provide an update on the implementation of their national climate plans, to share a roadmap on how they will increase ambition over time, and to provide a timetable for fully ratifying the Paris Agreement in domestic legislation. I urge governments to ensure their domestic processes are in place for ratification to ensure early entry into force. Parties that are ready to deposit their instruments of ratification on April 22nd, on the very day, will have an opportunity to do so. I ask the government to share how they are accelerating climate action before 2020 by drawing on the ingenuity, 
resources, and efforts of all sectors of society. We need all hands on deck. The SG says invitations have already been sent out to heads of state and government. Normally when a treaty or agreement is open for signature, sometimes member states come and go, come and go, and over a period, a long time, sometimes it, it may take a decade for any country to sign this agreement. The main purpose of Paris' decision is to invite all current 196 parties, states, member states and parties, to come at one place. And our ambition, it may be too much, too ambitious, to sign all 196 parties on one day, at one day, and try to enter into ratification process. We don't need to, we don't have time to waste. Moving from agreement to implementation will be the true test of the Paris Accord success. I'm Sherwin Ricepies in New York. Humanitarian agencies are urging the international community to speed up its actions of pledging and dispersing $245 million that is to help in emergency food aid. This money is expected to help prevent a potentially catastrophic escalation in severe acute malnutrition cases in drought-afflicted parts of Ethiopia from end of April. Kualeta Wanjohi has more. Several countries in Africa, like South Africa, Zimbabwe, Malawi and Ethiopia, have been hit by drought due to the El Nino effect. In Ethiopia, more than 10 million people are expected to be in need of urgent relief food this year. Save the Children Ethiopia warns that there is only until the end of February 2016 for the international community to pledge and disburse more funds, about $245 million for urgent food aid. Food and Agriculture Organization recently visited the Afar region, one of the most drought-affected areas in Ethiopia. Dr. Patrick Komawa, who is Food and Agriculture Organization sub-regional coordinator for Eastern Africa, explains the current status in the drought-affected area. Talking to the people, the biggest problem they have now is livestock feed, feed for their animals. Second, water both for their livestock as well as for even people to drink. Uh, three, for those areas that were agro-pastoralists who have some level of irrigation, one of the problems they have is that they do not have access to markets. So when you look at all of this and noting that water is life, it has a far-reaching effect not only for the animals, because if you understand the livelihood patterns of agro-pastoralists, their life and the lives of the animals are intertwined. Dr. Komawa explains that the government of Ethiopia has done well in attempting to provide food for its citizens who have been affected by the drought, but there is still need to ensure that resilience programs are put in place now for the sake of being prepared for any future reoccurrence. When there is emergency, we have been helping the communities to <clears throat> produce animal feeds, particularly the multi-nutrient blocks. These are uh, blocks made from animal feed but with multi-nutrients. So that animals that are emaciated, when they are given these multi-nutrient blocks, together with grass, they can withstand the drought 
effects, and then they can also have better uh, resistance to diseases. Second, we've also been supporting local communities in the area of animal health, because when there is no water and under very harsh conditions, diseases do spread amongst animals. So we are helping to inoculate animals so that those that can withstand the effect of drought can at least be sold for these um, <clears throat> pastoralists to have even little money in their pocket so that they don't lose anything. If the anticipated $245 million is raised in a month, then it will take about 120 days to purchase and transport food into Ethiopia through Djibouti. Hence, there will be food for the affected by April this year when the main hungry season is expected to begin. Koleto Anjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Zimbabwean authorities say the coup and the plane transporting South African Reserve Bank notes will only be released once the investigations have been completed. The plane, owned by an American-based Western Globe Airlines, was compounded by Zimbabwean authorities after a dead body believed to be a stowaway and millions of South African rands were found on board. Zimbabwean ambassador to South Africa Isaac Moyo says government will leave no stone unturned as Sepo Mungwai has more. What was supposed to be a brief stop at the Harare International Airport by flight ND-11F has now turned into a potential diplomatic test between Harare and Pretoria. Aviation experts say that under normal circumstances, the plane can fly directly from Munich to Durban without having to refuel. According to media reports, a U.S.-registered cargo jet from Germany made an unscheduled landing at Harare International Airport to refuel. The crew got into hot water when the ground staff discovered the dead body. Aviation expert Guy Leach suspects the body could have caused technical problems. If you have a pressurization problem, you've got to fly at low level. If you fly at low level, it means that you use a lot more fuel and therefore you can't get to your destination probably. So that's what my guess is that the the person or the body in the in the um, ENA equipment bay in the nose caused a pressurization problem and the aircraft had to fly a lot lower than it normally would have, which meant that it didn't have enough fuel for me to get to Durban. Yesterday, the Reserve Bank confirmed that the aircraft currently detained in Harare Airport is carrying a consignment of South African bank notes that was produced overseas as part of the bank's annual production plan. According to media reports, the bank contracted German-based Gessica Devrian to manufacture its banknotes. The company produces mainly 100 and 200 rand notes. The Zimbabwean authorities are carefully investigating the circumstances surrounding the plane and its contents. There are some media reports indicated that the plane first landed in another African country before Zimbabwe. Zimbabwean ambassador to South Africa Isaac Moyo says authorities are still questioning the crew of the cargo jet. Then the plane uh, definitely had to be detained so that uh, appropriate investigations could be carried out. This is still the situation. The plane is still on the ground. Uh, The investigations are not yet complete. Uh, um, The crew uh, are there uh, assisting police with their investigations and, uh, and of course the dead body that was found uh, has been taken for post-mortem to determine the cause of death. 
uh, it is these circumstances that explain the continued uh, stay of the plane in Harare. Questions have been raised as to why the Reserve Bank has decided to deliver the currency to Durban, which is far from its headquarters in Pretoria. The Reserve Bank had not responded to any questions at the time of this broadcast. I am Tep Omuai in Johannesburg. Let's go back in time to today in the year 2006. Muslim protesters attacked Christians and burned churches when they marched against cartoons depicting the Prophet Muhammad turns violent in northeastern Nigeria, killing at least 15 people in the first major protest to erupt over the issue in Africa's most populous nation. That was today in history in the year 2006. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. Le soleil élevé. We are Within the happen Africa. Africa, Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishani, Pulibanj. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilon Shele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. Within the happen Africa. It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.44 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehoko. The announcement of management of the Lili Gold Mine near Babaton in South Africa's Mpumalanga province that the search for its three staff will only resume in three weeks' time has come as a shock to the miners' families. Management made the announcement at a media briefing which it held with the Minerals Department of Trade uh, Union AMCU on Wednesday night. It says a second exit is needed before anyone can go underground. The two women and the male colleague were in a container when it collapsed into a shaft following a rockfall nearly two weeks ago. Amku's president, Joseph Matunjwa, who accompanied rescue teams underground at the weekend, says the decision is necessary. The operation can now continue as long as there is new second outlet. To this end, we have today secured a rescue drill unit from Mine Rescue. This is the same type of unit that was used in the Chilean rescue some years ago. It is a state-of-the-art drill machine which is going to be used to drill a 600 millimeter hole, just the right size to get a person out of the underground in an emergency. Toyota is conducting a global recall of 2.87 million vehicles due to the possibility that their seatbelts could be damaged by a metal seat frame part in the event of a crash. The world's biggest selling automaker says that the global recall involves a ref for SUV models produced between 2005 in July and August 2014. 
The recall includes 1.3 million vehicles in North America, announced earlier in the day by Toyota. Zambia's Vice President Inongyo Wina has urged African countries to work together in an effort to alleviate problems faced by workers on the continent. She says Africa and the SEDAC region in particular have numerous labor-related issues that often affect productivity. Hilda Akekelwa reports from Livingston. Vice President Wina said globally labor markets are faced with challenges that include labor migration, capital movements across borders, the global pension crisis and youth unemployment. India's telecommunication services company Bharti Airtel has moved to reorganize its top officials in African operations. While Kenya will be led by Adil Al Yousefi as managing director as a single cluster, various African countries in the West have been merged into clusters. Nigeria and Ghana, for instance, form one unit under the leadership of Segan Ogunsanya. He will continue to be the MD for Nigeria, while Lucy Quist, Etel Ghana MD, will report to him. Tunisia's economy has expanded 0.8% last year, falling from 2.3% growth in 2014. The State Statistics Institute also says that unemployment rose 15.4% to the end of 2015, from 15.1% in 2014. The U.S. dollar trades at 15.68 in South Africa, 11.12 in Botswana, 11.33 in Zambia. 69 British pound, 89 euro. Gold, 1,208 dollars. Platinum, 938 dollars an ounce. Brand crude oil, 34 dollars, 93 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. the globe the continent and the entire country every second there's always a breaking story sabc news is your reliable eye ear and information system in bringing you events as they happen our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time join us every day and know what is happening around you sabc news africa's news leader africa rise and shine Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. A sports update up next with Tami Guza. Thanks for joining us and good morning to all our sports fans. Let's start with football news where the Nigerian Football Federation, the NFF, have relieved former international T.D. Jan Babangida of his post as personal assistant to Super Eagles coach Sunday Olise. Coach Sunday Olise, as recommended by the Technical and Development Committee, was unanimously approved and General Secretary was therefore mandated to follow the due process in effecting the disengagement. Tijan Babangita was appointed same time with Sunday Olise, 
who is his teammate, who was his teammate at Ajax Amsterdam. South Africa's presidential candidate Tokyo Sehwale has moved swiftly to rectify media reports in Kigali that he has quit the race. Sehwale says that his failure to get African backing for his FIFA presidential bid was due to lack of unity amongst African heads of association. Sehwale says the organization needs to diversify and bring in an African president. Sehwale says that he is still in the mix. No, that's incorrect um, because it was a mistake they made. Uh, whilst we're at uh, Kigali. Uh, I have not participated with them when they made their recommendation as the 14-member executive, uh, but I didn't pull out of the race. The, the FIFA website has got the final word. I am still a candidate. The South African men's hockey team will continue working on rebuilding the squad when they meet reigning Olympic champions Germany in a three-test series in Cape Town next week. They will play the three tests on the 26th, 27th and 29th of this month, respectively. Experienced South African defender Rick Hackelt says that he is relishing the opportunity that the team has to test themselves against one of the strongest sides in the world. Uh, as a team, we get together next week on the 24th. Everyone arrives in Cape Town and we'll hit the ground running with team training and making sure we're as ready as possible to face the Olympic champion. The results earlier in the year against three-time Olympic bound sides were very good and Halkett says that all is that in the past and now they have to face Germany. And our previous results were very favourable against three Olympic bound sides. But now we face Germany so our full focus is on the three test match series in Cape Town against Germany. And in tennis, the women's Paralympian wheelchair tennis player Hotatsu Monjane is confident of finishing in the podium at the Rio Paralympics in Brazil later this year. Monjane was the member of the South African Paralympic team at both the 2008 Games in Beijing in China and 2012 Games in London in England. The 29-year-old says that it doesn't matter what kind of a medal she wins in Rio. My ambitions in Paralympics, you know, is to end up in the podium. I mean, uh, the medal color doesn't matter for me. I mean, it's just to be there in the podium, you know. doesn't matter which medal I get. Gold will be upon us, but I think I stand a good chance. And finally, in golf, South Africa's mayor of Tswane, Hossi Nzuramokopa, has praised the successful hosting of the 2016 Tswane Open that also marked the end of the co-sanctioned event in the summer swing, and he says that he could have not have asked for a better finish. Charles Schwarzel beat his nearest challenger, Jeff Winther of Denmark, by eight strokes after a final round of 63 to win his 11th European Tour title. Here is South Africa's mayor of Tswane, Hossi Nzuramokopa. It's a momentous occasion, in fact. Uh, yes, that's that's important, and that's why we're, we're working very hard uh, with people like Selwyn uh, to make sure that we expand the pool of black players that are there. I mean, we have seen what happened in uh, cricket: Rabada opportunities extended to them, Bavuma. So the more the merrier, the more we'll be able to produce champions in this country. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Lulu Gabu. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories on Africa, Raza and Shan at this hour, people across Uganda begin voting in presidential elections. Former South African president pays tribute to the late Butrus Butrusgali and UN Secretary General urges world leaders to attend a climate change meeting. That wraps up Africa, Raza and Shan today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Tutangubeni, technical producers Fiso Mashiko and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Zonke with a song titled Ekaya.